rest of us. Uh, we will uh, be in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you would like to turn there uh, in your uh, Bible uh, this morning. We are going through a short series as we approach Easter that we are calling uh, Resurrection uh, Stories. Um, last week, we, we saw the story of Abraham and Isaac, and while there wasn't a literal resurrection there, um, we saw Abraham uh, looking forward potentially to the resurrection of his son that somehow he was certainly uh, going to do it. Uh, this morning, as we dive into First uh, Kings uh, chapter 17, uh, we come into contact with Elijah. This is where Elijah comes onto the scene, and in fact, he comes on the scene out of nowhere. We know nothing about Elijah's past. Uh, we're not even 100% sure uh, where it is that he comes from. He comes from Tishbe and Gilead, but nobody's really even 100% sure where Tishbe even is. He's a nobody coming out of nowhere, and he comes onto the scene at a very particular time in Israel. Uh, this is a time where the monarch monarchy has already been divided, um, and he comes into the northern kingdom, and there's been quite a few kings, and they've gotten successively worse until you get to King Ahab. And of King Ahab, we read in chapter 16 this, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings uh, of Israel who were before him. Uh, this is who it is that he comes onto the scene with. And Abraham goes, or Abraham, I'm sorry, um, Elijah goes and he confronts um, Ahab. He goes into his presence and he, he, he tells him, because of, of the evil you're leading Israel in, it's not going to rain anymore. You may, some of you may remember this. And he, he tells Ahab, it, it's not going to rain anymore. And then what does Elijah have to do? He goes and he runs and he hides. God provides for him food through the raven who brings him, him food and, and water at the brook. But eventually the brook dries up. And so what does God do? God tells him, I, I want you to go to Zarephath. Uh, there you're going to find a widow, and he goes there, and he finds this widow, and he, he asks the widow for food, and the widow uh, says to him, I, I don't really have any food left. Um, the only food uh, that I have, uh, the only food that I have is me and my son were about to eat, and then we were going to die. And Elijah says, bring me food first. If you bring me food first, your flour won't go empty, your oil will not run dry. And so she brings him the food first, and what happens to the flour and the oil, but they keep, they never run dry. And um, Elijah stays with her uh, for many days. And it's there that our text picks up this morning. Okay, I wanted to give us a little bit of background. And our text picks up in verse 17. It says this, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and he carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in the mouth in your mouth is truth. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us this morning to know your word? 
Would you help us to see it for what it is? Would you help us this day to see the truth and be led towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Now, as I was preparing, I, I ran across um, this website. It's a sports website, um, Shoot Sports. You probably don't know them, but they, at least at one time, I couldn't tell if they still do, but at one time they were uh, making like at least a third of all football helmets for the NFL, okay? So a pretty big uh, company. And when you go to their website, as soon as, you click, as soon as you click to bring up the website, you're immediately left with one of those splash pages. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they come up and you've got to press OK in order to get out of it. You, you see it here and there's the I agree or whatever it is down there at the bottom. Now, what you don't see because it's such tiny print, we'll zoom in a little bit, but this is part of what that warning says. It says this. It says, no helmet system can protect you from serious brain and or neck injuries, including paralysis or death. To avoid these risks, do not engage in the sport of football. Here's a company who's a part of their mission, their, their job is to what? To provide helmets for football, for the NFL, and they say if you're worried about this, you shouldn't play football. This is how serious their warning is. This is a pretty serious thing that you uh, come into contact with. Um, it's weighty, in fact, if you, if you think about it. And as we approach our passage this morning, I hope that you know, and maybe even saw as we were reading, I hope you understand the seriousness of this passage, the the weightiness of it. I I want us to feel some of that weight. I I think sometimes as we approach maybe maybe especially some of these Old Testament stories, sometimes we almost think of them as like fairy tales. Um, What we need to see this morning, what I hope we'll see is that this is a real story. This truly uh, took place. We need to feel the, the weightiness that, that this mom feels, that Elijah even felt for her. This woman, she understands the seriousness of the situation, no doubt, as she's losing her son. Now, where are they? Uh, they're, they're at this place. Uh, Elijah had been sent, as I said a few minutes ago, to Zarephath, and that's where he meets up with this widow lady. Now, this is in Sidon. This is in the midst of Baal country. This is outside the bounds of Israel, okay? This, this widow is not an Israelite. Uh, she would be a Gentile and thinking like that. And, and where he is sent to, this is the territory of Jezebel. Jezebel is, is Ahab's wife, the king's wife, and she's not a very nice lady. The king isn't either. Um, but this is where she's from. This is the heart of Baal worship, and this is where God sends his prophet. And we, we read that he was with her for many days Okay, many days after this flower uh, kept coming and, and, and the oil never dried up. And you can't help but think that in those many days, what is Elijah doing? He's a prophet of God. He's sitting there in, his, in her living room, if you will. No doubt he's begun to tell her about Yahweh. She's certainly learning it from the miraculous thing that's taking place in front of her. But she's hearing it, no doubt, from the prophet himself. And into this context, something terrible happens. The widow's son becomes sick, and he dies. And we heard what she said, verse 18, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. What weighty words. And in these words, though, we we understand, I think we can even begin to see that she understood I was beginning to understand something about this great God, Yahweh, this God of Elijah, because what is she doing? She's in some way, she's kind of convicted of her sin, right? She understands how weighty and heavy her her sins are. Now, 
She thinks that her sin has brought this calamity upon her house. She thinks her sin is the cause of, of the death of her son. She thinks that because Elijah's prophet is there, or for Elijah's prophet, uh, Elijah's God is there through his prophet, that, that Elijah has brought to remembrance before God her sin. And this is the reason for her son's death. Now, she is mistaken there. But at the same time, I hope you kind of see and maybe understand or maybe sense that, that she understands the weightiness of her sin. This is how deadly sin is. I think she grasps some of that. We need to grasp that too. We need to understand how serious sin is, that, that sin grieves God. Psalm seventy-eight forty says this, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. And that what they do, what, they, what did the Israelites do? They grieved him. They grieved him in the debtor. It grieves God to see our sin. And as Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, our, our sins separate us from him. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is how heavy and weighty our sins are. Our, our, our sins are, in fact, they're even death to us. Our sins are our death, Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is how weighty sins are. I think this, this widow, she feels, she senses, I think, a bit of the weightiness of her sins, that these sins, as we read in the book of Hebrews, what do, what do they require? But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's how heavy, that's how weighty our sins are. As the woman sees her son die, I think she feels, she senses the weight and the seriousness of her, of her sin, but, but her problem is she's looking to the wrong solution for her sin, right? She thinks somehow that, um, the death of, that her son must die in order to pay for her sins. In a way, she's buying into some of the, the pagan worship around her where it wasn't unusual for people to sacrifice their own children. And she thinks somehow, maybe, maybe that's a way that God can be appeased. She understands the seriousness and the weight of her sin. She, in a sense, understands what Paul says, that the wages of sin is death. But she doesn't understand Yahweh. She doesn't understand Elijah's God. She doesn't understand the way that Elijah's God deals with sin. Elijah's God does not deal with her sin by killing her son, but he gives his own son. You know that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This widow thought that somehow she could be made right with God through the death of her son, when in reality it's only through the death of the Son of God that she or we can ever be made right with God. She understands the weightiness but she misunderstands how this problem can appropriately be solved. Do you, as I was thinking about that, do, do you take your sin seriously? Do you really? Do, do you understand that, that your sin grieves God? Do you understand that your sin separates you from Him? Do you understand that they are your death? Do you understand that, that your sins demand that bless, blood must be shed. 
Now we hear all this, and we're starting off the sermon like this, and this is, you might know, say, this is really negative. Do we, do we have to focus so much on that? We don't like to think about sin. We don't like to focus on it. We'd, we'd, we'd much rather focus almost anywhere else. But we need to see our sin for what it really is. We need to see how devastating it is. One Scottish pastor of the 19th century, um, one day a, a lady came up to him after church and said to him this, Dr. White, I just love being in your presence. You are so saintly. Do you know how he responded? He responded with this. He said, Madam, if you could look into my soul, what you would see would make you spit in my face. Do you take your sin that seriously? Do you know that it's that weighty? Oh, we need to. And we need to understand how heavy and weighty it is so that we can truly experience and know the wonder of God's grace. One Puritan, uh, Thomas Watson, put it this way, the more bitterness we taste in sin, the more bitterness we taste in sin, the more sweetness we shall taste in Christ. The more we know the devastating nature of sin in our life, the more we can understand the incredible grace and can taste the sweetness that is found in Jesus Christ. As you're here this morning, I I, I want you and I hope you understand and you know the seriousness of your sin. But also, do you know the love of the Father? Do you know the love of the Son? 1 John 4.10 says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, to be the one, the sacrifice that takes upon the very wrath of God for you and me. Do you know that incredible love of God that has taken your sins upon Him who died for you so that you would never have to, do you know that incredible and that wonderful grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ? Now, as we um, continue in our, our, our passage this morning and as we think through and understand just the seriousness of our sin, the wonders of grace that comes through Jesus Christ, as we see this playing out with this widow and, and Elijah, we, we see them And I think both of them playing out and showing their dependence upon God. Um, Some of you may have at some point or another read uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Um, Her and her sister Betsy um, were arrested during World War II, were were put into a Nazi uh, concentration camp. And they were believers. And they they were, at some point, they make their way into this kind of bigger barracks where, where they're placed. And when they get there, they find that the place is totally infested with fleas. Terrible circumstance. Tons of people, tons of women, all in the same barracks. And, and, and Corey begins, oh, oh, this is so terrible, this is so terrible, and what does her sister encourage her? No, do you remember what we read this morning? Do you remember what we read earlier, today? She reminds her First Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And, and Corey Timboom's like, I, I don't, how do we do that? I mean, look at where we're at. We're in a concentration camp. 
And her sister says, no, what can we pray and what can we give thanks for? And she says, look, we can pray and we can thank God that we, you and I, we're here together. The two sisters are there together. We can thank God that we have the word that it hadn't been confiscated from, from us, that we have the Bible. We can thank God that he's put us in such a big barracks with so many women who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they begin to pray, and they pray thankfully for all these things. And as Betsy is praying, she prays this, thank you for the fleas. Corey immediately interrupts her. This is too much, she says. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for the fleas. And her sister responds, we just read, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of the way, place where God has placed us. And so Corey writes, we, we stood between the piers of the bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure that Betsy was wrong. Sometime later, after being out at work outside of the barracks, um, Corey comes back in and, and Betsy is there. And Betsy's very excited to tell and share something with her. She says, I finally know why we're in this barracks and why the fleas are here. You see, she says, we, we had to call a guard here earlier for something, and the guard refused to come in. And we asked her, what, what, why aren't you coming in? He said, she, she said, the guard said, because of the fleas. That place is crawling with fleas. Because the place was crawling with fleas, the guards would never go in there. Inside the bounds of that barracks, they were completely freed to share the gospel, and they did so. And many women came to know Christ. God used terrible circumstances. He, he was at work through it, and we, we see in, in Betsy and Corey a, a dependence upon God trying to learn to, to, to live out these words, give thanks in all circumstances. It can be so hard to do that, isn't it? It can be so hard to really depend upon God, to show total dependence upon Him. How difficult it must have been for, for this widow woman to even begin to show dependence upon Elijah's God. But yet, I think we kind of see it, even with her cry out. You see what we read in verse 19? And he said, Elijah said to her, give me your son. Give me your son. Those are important words because can you, you imagine how painful that would be for her to give up her son to Elijah? Her son who had just died. And, and, and understand also, they're in a culture of that day. You know, we, we try to get death out of the house, if you will, as quickly as possible in our day, in our culture. That is not this culture. Her son is all that she has left in this world. And Elijah says to her, give, give me your son. Let me take him. And I think in her allowing him to, him to take her son... We begin to see a, a little bit of a faint, maybe even dependence upon Elijah's God. In fact, I'm pretty confident that the author of Hebrews speaks about this widow and groups her among those faithful women, as we read about in, in chapter 11 and in verse 35 of Hebrews, women, as he praises the faith of women who received back their, their dead by resurrection. I think this widow is among them. And so we see a bit of her dependence upon Elijah's God, but then we see Elijah's dependence upon God as well. He takes the son to his bedroom, and what does he do? He cries out in anguish. Verse 20, O Lord, my God, 
Have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Do you hear the words? Do you hear the anguish? And understand, this is God's prophet. And he's completely confused by the situation in a sense. He he doesn't know why. It's not like he's God's prophet so he understands everything that's going on here. He's in the dark. But yet he's dependent upon his God and he's trusting in his great God. And, And in fact, that's why you see these words because these words are not just a cry out, they're also a bit of an argument. He's beginning to argue his case before his God. You see, Elijah knew what was at stake. He was in the heart of Baal territory. He was in the heart of pagan worshipers. He was outside of Israel. People no doubt knew that this woman was harboring and had this prophet from this other God in her house. And if he walked out of the house and her son was dead, what did that have to say about Elijah's God? Some prophet he is. Elijah's prophet was, was, was no match for our God of death, Moat. He was no match for Moat. Moat defeated Elijah's God. And so his cry out, his cry out of anguish, is, is a plea to God to defend his honor. And understand, not Elijah's honor, but Yahweh's honor, God's honor. That's who he's interested in. And so what does Elijah do? In in total dependence, we see him three times crying out to the Lord in verse 21, saying, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Elijah may be God's prophet, but he has no magic to offer. Okay? Elijah can't make this, this, this boy rise from the dead. What we see here is is the prophet of God, what? Totally dependent upon his God. As we read about in James, what do we learn about Elijah? He's a man like we are. He wasn't like super powerful and that's how he's able to get through this. No, he, he came as one totally dependent upon his God. He came in that moment completely helpless to solve this situation, but yet knowing that he had a great God. Now, Elijah, remember that this, this is the first real resurrection story that we find in Scripture. Elijah didn't know any resurrection stories. This had never taken place before. And yet, like Abraham did, what do we see? Elijah has hope. Hope that that whatever, God can somehow do this. God can somehow rescue us from this situation. Now, as you try to depend upon God in your life, do, do you find God's providence confusing sometimes? Do you know what I mean, God's providence confusing? That the, by providence, we mean the way that things work out in the world. Do you find it confusing sometimes? You wonder why? And you ask the question, why God? About this passage, one commentator says this, Yahweh provides and he perplexes. He seems to be both faithful and fitful. He sustains life as he does through like the provision of uh, of flour and oil. And then he takes it away. He both sustains and he bewilders. 
And understand, this has been the path of Elijah the prophet. He, he just comes onto the scene in, in chapter 17 that we have before us this morning. But, but here he is, the faithful prophet, right? He goes out and faithfully preaches God's word to the king, and then what does he have to do? He has to go run and hide. And a dirty raven brings him food. Unclean animal brings him food. Yeah, he has a brook of water, but then that even dries up. And then God tells this one who has been faithful to do what? I want you to go up in pagan territory. I want you to go where it's going to be really bad. That's where I want you to go. And I want you to go to a non-Jewish person's house. Somebody who would make you unclean. I want you to eat with them. Stay with them. All this to a prophet who's been faithful. You see, sometimes we look at life and, and we think, isn't, it, isn't life supposed to be easy if we just follow God's word? Isn't that, doesn't that just make everything okay? You see, we find ourselves as a people who only trust God's sovereignty when his sovereignty goes our way. When his sovereignty starts working out in different ways, we don't like it. We bristle against it. And yet, what does God call us to do? God calls us to to trust Him. Following Him isn't always easy. He has a plan. Sometimes He lets us in on that. Sometimes we we, we can kind of learn a little bit of why things are happening. Sometimes we have no clue. We can be like Job, live our whole life, never know why all that stuff happened. For Elijah here, why is all this stuff happening to the prophet of God? Well, I think God's preparing him here in chapter 17 for what's going to happen in chapter 18. The the fact that, that this the sun rises from the dead, that God conquers even death itself. It prepares Elijah to do what? To go and defeat the prophets of Baal. This is school, if you will, for Elijah. Growing and maturing his faith so that he will be ready for the battle against the prophets of Baal. But even when, when, when Elijah's faithful there and he defeats the prophets of Baal, what happens? Immediately he's on the run again because Jezebel... The king's wife is after him to kill him. It's not like he, oh, he does the right thing and suddenly everything goes well in the life of Elijah. Things don't always work that way. I wish they did. I, I, I wish things just always got better. But they don't. We live in a sinful and fallen world. How, how, do, you, how, how do you find yourself responding to the confusing providence of God? How do you respond? When you don't understand why things are going this way, when God's sovereign plan doesn't match your sovereign plan, how do you respond? What we see, I think, in Elijah, what we even see in, in, in very tiny, in the widow, it's two individuals that are learning to depend upon God, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the outcomes. Trusting him that he's really at work, that his sovereign plan is far better than ours. And we see that he does have a great plan, and he has a great plan here for, for, for this widow and for Elijah. Verse 22, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came back into him, and he was revived. Baal and, and the God of Moat, they are defeated. Elijah would, would exit that house in, in triumph. It's like that moment in Avengers um, where Hulk is kind of tossing around Loki a little bit and Loki, who is a god, 
isn't very happy with the way he's getting pushed around. And so what does Loki say? Enough. You are beneath me. Talking to Hulk. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by. And what, of course, happens to this god, Loki? Hulk picks him up by the feet and just starts slamming him on the floor. He walks away with Loki half passed out. And and what does Hulk say over his shoulder? Puny God. Puny God. If you were an Israelite reading and hearing these stories for the first time, what is it saying to you? The, the, those God of, uh, uh, of, this, of those people, of the side, Baal and Moat and all that, puny gods. Puny gods. You have Yahweh. You have the God who, who isn't just able to uh, replenish flour and oil. I mean, that's pretty cool. You have a God who can triumph over death itself. So, Elijah, you remember a little bit ago, what does, he, what does he say to the woman? He says, give me your son. And now in verse 23, what does he do? He comes back downstairs. And he says to the woman, see, your son lives. And how does she respond? Now I know. This is what she says. Listen closely. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. When Elijah carried away her son, no doubt she wanted to believe (laughs) that Elijah's God could do something, but she was struggling to. She didn't know if she could fully trust Elijah's God. But what does God do? He shows himself faithful. He shows himself faithful in this moment of trial. And please don't miss it. Despite our circumstances, despite the way that providence plays out in our lives, despite how confusing it can be at times, he is always faithful. He's not always faithful in the same way. But he's always faithful. Always. That's what he's teaching this widow. That's what he's teaching his very own prophet. He's teaching Elijah, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you. When it seems impossible and you go up against those prophets, I'm faithful. Now, I don't know what all's going on in your life as you come here today. No doubt, though, every single one of us, every person in this room, comes this morning with struggles and doubts. And for some of you, you, you come um, from this place troubled with, with, uh, and with doubts. You, you come to it from a place of faith. Okay. And maybe you're saying even in your heart this morning, I, I believe, will you, will you help my unbelief? Will you, you help me to learn to depend upon you? And I hope maybe this morning, maybe even through this passage, we're, we're reminded again of God's great sovereign plan. That God is at work even when it doesn't make sense, even when we, we, we can't quite flesh it out and figure it all out. He is at work. Even as we see his tenderness to who? who, who is, where, where does this miracle take place? The, the, this first rising from the dead that we see in Scripture, it takes place in Gentile territory. 
to a pagan woman, a woman who was previously pagan, we, we assume. And, and Jesus actually makes much of this. In Luke chapter 4, we, we, we see him even mention it. Where did Elijah go? He went to the widow. The, the widow who, who wasn't worshiping me before, she wasn't an Israelite. Be reminded of God's sovereign plan and the way he works it out. Now, there also may be some of you here this morning, you, you don't know if you can believe this. I mean, can all, it, it seems maybe even too good to be true. Come on, isn't, isn't this just a fairy tale? A son rising from the dead, I, I don't think so. Or, or maybe he was just really sick and then he got better. No. I'm here to say this morning to you, yes, it is true. And I hope you'll learn to believe. And the ultimate proof, the ultimate proof of the truth of this comes in the fact that our great God sent His very own Son. And His very own Son took our sin upon Him. It was heaped upon Him on the cross, but it didn't end there. Because he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and there were hundreds of witnesses to his resurrection. I know it's difficult, but would you consider believing that it's really true? And regardless of where you're at this morning, our God calls you and I to say the words that we see there at the very end. The words of the woman. To say the word of the Lord is truth. Can you say that? That the word of the Lord is truth. Do you believe this morning that the word of the Lord really is true? Do you see this morning your sin? Do you, do you see and do you understand the incredible weight of it? you understand the consequences to it? Do, do you know that the sin must be fa- paid for? But do you also, do you believe this morning that the Father so loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins? Do you believe it? That He took His our sins upon Him. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the, that the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life? Do you believe it? Do you understand? Do you know the weight of your sin? And do you know the wonderful beauty of the gospel, that we are saved by the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The widow's son didn't have to die for her sin. In fact, her her son's death would never expunge sin. It's only through the death of the Son of God, that her sins 
and your sins could ever be forgiven. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, for your wonderful, wonderful word. Your word that feeds us and nourishes us. We thank you for reminding us this day of the heinousness of our sin, the seriousness of it. I know, Father, for those of us here, would would you help that to make the wonder of your grace even that much more incredible? Would you just help us to taste and know the sweetness that comes to us in Jesus Christ? Would you convince our hearts more and more of the truth of the gospel wherever we find ourselves this morning? Oh, would you help us to believe more and more this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.